The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, open, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Sometimes I can come up with pretty catchy titles for a sermon, I think. All I kept saying this week as I read these texts was, ouch, ouch, especially that first reading, huh? And I didn't even include some of the harder verses to hear in this text or certainly in the whole book of Amos. All of Amos is gloom and doom. If you ever meet somebody named Amos, you can be sure Their parents didn't read the Bible. (laughs) It's most likely, Amos is, the first of these prophetic books that are looking towards this impending doom of the exile. And uh, it seems that Amos cannot yet see any hope in this coming doom. And so the whole book is about the death of the people of God and of their homeland as well. This is kind of a turn in the scriptures and it becomes really a lot of the, especially the First Testament or Old Testament scriptures kind of rotate around what does this exile mean for us. But here we are at the kind of the start of this prophetic word. The exile hasn't even come yet. In the first three verses of this chapter, we just read the first verse to kind of give us an idea I'll get to in a minute. But Amos envisions this death like that of a young woman, a a woman who has not yet born children, and she is killed and left in a field. In other words, like a woman who dies with no offspring, no legacy, and nowhere to be laid to rest. This isn't a beautiful death. It's the worst kind of death. Wow, this sermon really slays, huh? I mean, I took this awful text and made it worse. How about that? How can we sit with this kind of horror? How can we follow such a God? 
Well, I'm not God's lawyer. I don't think God needs one. I think a lot of people try to be. But, uh, but I do think there is a clue in verse 1, and that's why I added it to our reading today. The prophet calls this a lament, a lamentation. But for whom? Well, certainly the one speaking, the prophet, yes. But also, and, and really primarily, this is a lament for God. There is no joy for God in what is about to happen. It's more of a painful consequence for God's people. This isn't, this hurts me more than it hurts you. But because God is a God of covenant, a God who comes down, a God who joins the people multiple times at this point in, in at least three covenants up to now, we have this God who is yoked with the people. It might be more like, this hurts me as it hurts you. This hurts us. There is no longer a you and me. There is, there is a joining. There is an us here. The lament is on God's part as well. But why this consequence? Why is it necessary? In the latter part of this reading, we hear of the day of the Lord, and Amos seems intent on ruining that phrase forever. Darkness, no light. You think you want it? You don't want it, he says. Now, the day of the Lord can mean the last day, as we often hear on that day or the day of the Lord, and we think about that time for us as Christians when Christ will come again. And there's a lot of kind of renaming of that as Christ speaks about that day. Most uh, especially the prophet Joel talks about the day of the Lord as a day of darkness. And, and, and Jesus says the day of the Lord is a day of celebration, a day of, of joy. But anyway, here we are in this day of the Lord and, and Amos is ruining it. But the day of the Lord doesn't just mean that day to come. The day of the Lord here probably more likely refers to those times when God has shown up for God's people. Of days in the past when God has intervened on the part of the people, giving them victory in battles with insurmountable odds. We might know some of these stories. Or bringing judgment on their unjust enemies. But here's the thing about God. God is consistent in being just. And so when the people of God become riddled with injustice, with corruption, with greed, with heartless worship, with vengeance and violence, God's consistent justice now falls upon them. The day of the Lord in the past has been a benefit, a saving grace, but now that day of justice will see their fall. God will always be on the side of justice. Now there will be a day of return as well, a return from exile, a renewing of the nation, but that is something Amos cannot yet see as the first of many prophets, but something he can only dream of in the last chapter of the book. If you want a little bit of good news from, from Amos, there are like three verses at the very end in chapter 9. You can go look at that when you get home. But still the message remains here. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's a verse you might have memorized. This is a call to live in a way consistent with the life-giving will of God. But it is also the promise of a drowning flood upon those that might corrupt God's name for their own twisted purposes. 
especially when those devious acts are hidden behind God's name. We get at this a little bit in the Lord's Prayer, I think, when we pray these words, lead us not into temptation. Certainly we don't think God is leading us into temptation and needs a little reminder like, hey God, by the way, just saying, don't lead me into temptation. No, but we are using that as a prayer to remind us, let us not use your name or hide behind it to accomplish anything contrary to your will. And so I wonder, is that the message behind our gospel for today as well? Amos could not see the return from exile. He certainly cannot see what God will do in Christ Jesus. Is that just the Old Testament God and now we're in the New Testament God? No, we do not serve two different gods. However, the kingdom of God here in, in our gospel for today stands in some contrast to Amos's day of the Lord. Instead of a funeral for the nation, we get a reign of God that is like a wedding banquet. Quite the contrast. But as soon as we hear this parable, we must wonder, is this about what we need to do? Had we better or else? Is this kind of like leading up to Amos's word here today? Because if you were like me, you might be asking, wait, am I a wise bridesmaid or a foolish one? I know there's a saying, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. For me, it would be once a groomsman, never a bridesmaid. I guess, but, uh, but here, you know, kind of live into the parable here. See yourself in this parable. I think we ask that question, and it's a normal question. Am I wise or am I foolish? Do, do I have enough oil? What is this oil? Is it faith? Is it, is it good deeds? Is it right living? I suppose it's pretty normal to ask those questions because they are the kind of questions we ask kind of how life runs for us. What do we need to do to get our desired grade or, or the pay we think we deserve? What do we need to do to make the team or get the promotion? What do we need to do to make sure we have enough to go to college or enough to retire? What do we need to do to feel safe or secure? This parable seems to be the perfect one for those who prepare and plan. It's the biblical version of the ant and the grasshopper, right? Well, except for one thing, it is exactly not that. And that's not just because I'm not a planner, by the way, okay? The only people concerned about the oil in this parable seem to be the foolish bridesmaids. This parable isn't about oil. It isn't about quantity. The foolish are foolish because they are focused on their oil, their light, their quantity, their score. And then they are panicked when they see themselves falling short. They, and we as well, are invited to be joined to Christ in a marriage where the groom has borne the darkness and death of sin's consequence. All that Amos, Amos foretold, Jesus acts like a shield, like a dam before those floodwaters and takes it on himself. And then comes as the groom who brings the light and illumines the party. Our lamps are lit by the light of the bridegroom. The wise carry this oil of promise, of the new covenant gifted to us in Christ's body and blood. That's what the wise carry. Not their own meager oil, but that of Christ. 
The foolish are so caught up in their scorekeeping, their own oil of self-righteousness, that they fall desperately short and even more desperately go to a market that is surely closed at midnight to buy something you can't buy. And the wise can't give it to them. You might think the wise are selfish, right? They didn't share. But how do you give someone your trust in Christ's promise? You can share your story, and yes, please do. But you can't take your faith and somehow give it to someone else. You can pass it on in those stories, all kinds of things, but you can't just give it to them. Indeed, the day of the Lord is entirely without light, as Amos says, apart from Christ Jesus, whose promise is a never-ending flask of oil, carried by the wise in stark contrast to a world of scorekeeping, planning, preparing, even showboating, taking by force because we see there isn't enough for me, i got to get yours, or killing ourselves with the envy of perfection that we can't stand up. It stands in contrast so that we might live into the kingdom vision of God where we freely and joyfully empty ourselves for the sake of the world God so clearly loves that justice might roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The order is of utmost importance. Promise received our flask of oil filled from the well of Christ. And then justice lived. Because that oil will never run out, we pour ourselves out, our light shining with the brightness and never-ending light of Christ. What a good word as we remember and celebrate those who have served our country, who have put themselves in harm's way, who have poured themselves out. What a great word for us as we anticipate next week our annual meeting and being good stewards of this congregation and of our community as well, of of living into a reality where that oil that we receive from Christ is a generous overflowing. What a great vision for us as we move into a seasons of giving, that they are more than just a commercial for us or a good feeling for us, but that they are actions that we that we light, that we bring that light into the world. God's work, our hands, all those things that are coming. Let us be a light, reflecting the light of Christ. And let us come welcomed to the wedding feast. Amen.